0: Section 18 of The Story of King Arthur and His Knights. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Story of King Arthur and His Knights by Howard Pyle. The Book of King Arthur, Part 3. THE WINNING OF A QUEEN CHAPTER FIFTH PART ONE HOW KING ARTHUR OVERCAME THE ENEMIES OF KING LEODEGRANCE, AND HOW HIS ROYALTY WAS PROCLAIMED. NOW, WHEN THE NEXT DAY HAD COME, THE DUKE OF NORTH UMBER AND SIX KNIGHTS' COMPANION APPEARED UPON THE FIELD IN FRONT OF THE CASTLE OF CAMELIARD, AS HE HAD DULY DECLARED THAT HE AND THEY WOULD DO. And those seven champions appeared in very great estate for in front of them there rode seven heralds with trumpets and tabards and behind them there rode seven esquires each esquire bearing the spear the shield the crest and the banneret of the knight who was his lord and master and the seven heralds blew their trumpets so exceedingly loud that the sound thereof penetrated unto the utmost parts of Cameliard, so that the people came running from everywhere. And while the heralds blew their trumpets, the seven esquires shouted, and waved the spears and the bannerets. So those seven knights rode in such proud estate that those who looked upon them had hardly ever beheld such a splendid presentment of chivalry. So they paraded up and down that field three times for its entire length, and meantime a great crowd of people, called thither by the blowing of the herald's trumpets, stood upon the walls and gazed therefrom at that noble spectacle. And all the court of King Rience came, and stood upon the plain in front of the king's pavilion, and they shouted and cheered the Duke of Northumber and his six knights' companion. Meanwhile, king leodegrance of cameliard was so cast down with trouble and shame that he did not choose to show his face but hid himself away from all his court nor would he permit any one for to come into his presence at that time nevertheless the lady guinevere with sundry of her damsels went unto the king's closet where he was and knocked upon the door thereof and when the king denied her to come in to him she spake to him through the door giving him words of good cheer saying my lord king and father, I prithee for to look up, and to take good cheer unto thyself. For I do assure thee that there is one who hath our cause in his hands, and that one is, certes, a very glorious champion, and he shall assuredly come by and by, ere this day is done, and when he cometh he shall certainly overthrow our enemies. But King Leodegrance opened not the door, but he said, My daughter, that which thou sayest, thou sayest for to comfort me for there is no other help for me in this time of trouble, only God, his good strong help and grace. And she said, Nay, I say that which is the truth, and the help that God shall send unto thee, he shall certainly send through a worthy champion, who at this moment hath our cause in his hand. So spake the Lady Guinevere, so that whilst King Leodegrance came not forth, yet he was greatly comforted at that which she said to him thus passed all that morning and a part of the afternoon and yet no one appeared for to take up that challenge which the seven knights had declared but whilst the sun was yet three or four hours high there suddenly appeared at a great distance a cloud of dust and in that cloud of dust there presently appeared five knights riding at great speed thitherward and when these had come nigh unto the walls lo the people beheld that he who rode foremost of all was that same white champion who had aforetime overthrown the Duke of Northumber. Moreover, they perceived that the four knights who rode with that white champion were very famous knights, and of great prowess and glory of arms, for the one was Sir Gawain, and the other was Sir ewan and the other was Sir Geraint, and the other was Sir Pelias. For the people of the castle and the town knew those four knights, because they had dwelt for two days at Cameliard, and they were of such exceeding renown that folk crowded from far and near, for to look upon them whensoever they appeared for to walk abroad. So when the people upon the walls beheld who those knights were, and when they perceived that white champion who had aforetime brought them such exceeding honour, they shouted aloud for the second time with a voice mightier than that with which they had the first time shouted. Now King Leodegrance heard the people shouting, whereupon hope awoke of a sudden within him. So he straightway came forth with all speed for to see what was ado. And there he beheld those five noble champions about to enter into the field below the castle walls. And the Lady Guinevere also heard the shouting, and she came forth likewise. And behold, there was that white champion and those four other knights. So when she beheld that white knight and his four companions at arms, her heart was like to break within her for pure joy and gladness. Wherefore she wept for the passion thereof, and laughed the whiles she wept and she waved her kerchief unto those five noble lords, and kissed her hand unto them, and the five knights saluted her as they rode past her and into the field. Now when the Duke of Northumber was made aware that those five knights had come against him and his knight's companion, for to take up his challenge, he straightway came forth from his pavilion and mounted his horse, and his knight's companion came forth and mounted their horses, and he and they went forth for to meet those who had come against them. And when the Duke of Northumber had come nigh enough, he perceived that the chiefest of those five knights was the white champion, who had aforetime overthrown him. Wherefore he said unto that white champion, Sir knight, I have once before condescended unto thee, who art altogether unknown to me or to anybody else that is here. For without inquiring concerning thy quality I ran a course with thee, and lo, by the chance of arms thou didst overthrow me. Now this quarrel is more serious than that, Wherefore I and my companions at arms will not run a course with thee and thy companions, nor will we fight with thee until I first know what is the quality of him against whom I contend. Wherefore I bid thee presently declare thyself, who thou art, and what is thy condition. Then Sir Gawain opened the umbril of his helmet, and he said, Sir Knight, behold my face, and know that I am Gawain, the son of King Lot, wherefore thou mayest perceive that my condition and estate are even better than thine own. Now I do declare unto thee that yonder white knight is of such a quality that he condescends unto thee when he doeth combat with thee, and that thou dost not condescend unto him. O, oh, Sir Gawain, quoth the Duke of Umber, what thou sayest is a very strange thing, for indeed there are few in this world who are so exalted that they may condescend unto me. Nevertheless, since thou dost avouch for him, I may not gainsay that which thou sayest. Yet there is still another reason why we may not fight with ye. For, behold, we are seven well-approved and famous knights, and ye are but five. So consider how unequal are our forces, and that you stand in great peril in undertaking so dangerous an encounter. Then Sir Gawain smiled right grimly upon that Duke of Northumber. Gramercy for thy compassion.' and for the tenderness which thou showeth concerning our safety, Sir Duke, quoth he. But, nevertheless, thou mayest leave that matter unto us, with entire content of spirit upon thy part. For I consider that the peril in which ye seven stand is fully equal to our peril. Moreover, wert thou other than a belted knight, a simple man might suppose that thou wert more careful of thine own safety in this matter, than thou art of ours.' Now at these words the countenance of the Duke of Northumber became altogether covered with red, for he wist that he had indeed no great desire for this battle, wherefore he was ashamed because of the words which Sir Gawain spake to him. So each knight closed his helmet, and all turned their horses, and the one party rode unto one end of the field, and the other party rode to the other end of the field, and there each took stand in the place assigned unto them. And they arranged themselves thus, IN THE MIDDLE WAS KING ARTHUR, AND UPON EITHER HAND WERE TWO KNIGHTS, AND IN THE MIDDLE WAS THE DUKE OF NORTHUMBER, AND UPON EITHER HAND WERE THREE KNIGHTS. SO WHEN THEY HAD THUS ARRAYED THEMSELVES, THEY DRESSED THEIR SPEARS AND THEIR SHIELDS, AND MADE THEM altogether READY FOR THE ONSET. THEN KING ARTHUR AND DUKE MORDAUNT EACH SHOUTED ALOUD, AND THE ONE PARTY HURLED UPON THE OTHER PARTY WITH SUCH VIOLENCE THAT THE GROUND SHOOK AND THUNDERED BENEATH THE hoofs OF THE HORSES, AND THE CLOUDS OF DUST ROSE UP AGAINST THE HEAVENS. And so they met in the middle of the field with an uproar of such dreadful violence that one might have heard the crashing thereof for the distance of more than a mile away. And when the one party had passed the other, and the dust of the encounter had arisen, lo, three of the seven had been overthrown, and not one of the five had lost his seat. And one of those who had been overthrown was Duke Mordaunt of Northumber, and, behold, he nevermore arose again from the ground whereon he lay. For king arthur had directed his spear into the very midst of his defences and the spear had held wherefore the point thereof had pierced the shield of the duke of Northumber, and had pierced his body armor and so violent was the stroke that the duke of Northumber had been lifted entirely out of his saddle and had been cast a full spear's length behind the crupper of his horse thus died that wicked man for as king arthur drave past him "'The evil soul of him quitted his body with a weak noise "'like to the squeaking of a bat, "'and the world was well rid of him. "'Now when King Arthur turned him about at the end of the course, "'and beheld that there were but four knights left upon their horses "'of all those seven against whom he and his companions had driven, "'he uplifted his spear and drew rein upon his horse "'and bespake his knights in this wise. "'Messias, I am aweary of all this coil and quarrelling and do not care to fight any more to-day. So go ye straightway, and engage those knights in battle. As for me, I will abide here, and witness your adventure. Lord, said they, we will do our endeavour as thou dost command. So those four good knights did as he commanded, and they went forth straightway against those other four, much encouraged that their king looked upon their endeavour. And King Arthur sat with the butt of his spear resting upon his instep and looked upon the field with great content of spirit, and a steadfast countenance. As for those four knights' companion that remained of the Duke of Northumber's party, they came not forth to this second encounter with so much readiness of spirit as they had done aforetime, for they were now well aware of how great was the excellent prowess of those other knights, and they beheld that their enemies came forth to this second encounter very fiercely, and with great valour and readiness of spirit." wherefore their hearts melted away within them with doubt and anxiety as to the outcome of this second encounter nevertheless they prepared themselves with such resolve as might be and came forth as they were called upon to do then sir gawain drave straight up to the foremost knight who was a very well known champion hight sir Dinador of montcalm and when he had come sufficiently nigh to him he lifted himself up in his stirrups and he smote Sir Denador so fierce a blow that he cleft the shield of that knight asunder, and he cleft his helmet, and a part of the blade of his sword break away and remained therein. And when Sir Denador felt that blow, his brain swam like water, and he was fain to catch the horn of his saddle for to save himself from falling therefrom. Then a great terror straightway fell upon him, so that he drew rein violently to one side, so he fled away from that place with the terror of death hanging above him, like to a black cloud of smoke. And when his companions beheld that stroke that Sir Gawain delivered, and when they beheld Sir Denador flee away from before him, they also drew rein to one side, and fled away with all speed, pursued with an entire terror of their enemies. And Sir Gawain and Sir Erwin and Sir Geraint and Sir Pellius pursued them as they fled and they chased them straight through the court of king Rience, so that the knights and nobles of that court scattered hither and thither like chaff at their coming and they chased those fleeing knights in among the pavilions of king Rience's court and no man stayed them and when they had chased those knights entirely away they returned to that place where king arthur still held his station steadfastly awaiting them now when the people of cameliard beheld the overthrow of their enemies and when they beheld how those enemies fled away from before the faces of their champions, they shouted with might and main and made great acclaim, nor did they stint their loud shouting when those four knights returned from pursuing their enemies and came back unto the white champion again, and still more did they give acclaim when those five knights rode across the drawbridge and into the gateway of the town and into the town. Thus ended the great bout at arms, which was one of the most famous in all the history of chivalry of king arthur's court now when king arthur had thus accomplished his purposes and when he had come into the town again he went unto that merchant of whom he had obtained the armor that he wore and he delivered that armor back to him again and he said to-morrow day sir merchant i shall send thee two bags of gold for the rent of that armor which thou didst let me have to this the merchant said lord it is not needed that thou shouldst recompense me for that armor for thou hast done great honour unto Cameliard by thy prowess. But King Arthur said, Have done, Sir Merchant, nor must thou forbid what I say, wherefore take thou that which I shall send unto thee. Thereupon he went his way, and having set his cap of disguise upon his head, he came back into the Lady Guinevere's gardens again. Now when the next morning had come, the people of Cameliard looked forth, and lo, King Ryance had departed entirely away from before the castle for that night he had struck his pavilions, and had withdrawn his court, and had gone away from that place where he and his people had sat down for five days past, and with him he had taken the body of the Duke of Northumber, conveying it away in a litter surrounded by many lighted candles, and uplifted by a peculiar pomp of ceremony. But when the people of Cameliard beheld that he was gone, they were exceedingly rejoiced, and made merry, and shouted, and sang, and laughed, for they wist not how deeply enraged King Rience was against them. For his enmity aforetime toward King Leodegrance was but as a small flame when compared unto the anger that now possessed him. End of section 18.